everyone, and welcome to One Great History, a podcast all about the great and not-so-great parts of Winnipeg history. I'm one of your hosts, Sabrina. And I'm Alex. And we're joined, as always, by our producer, Nick. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about Winnipeg Beach. Yes. But before we get uh, too into that, we actually got a letter from a listener who may not be a relative of mine. (laughs) (laughs) We have listeners who aren't related to us. Maybe. Maybe. We've never seen them, so we can't be sure. (laughs) So this relates back to our first episode when Alex was talking about not knowing what dainties are called in other places. And my aunt very nicely sent an anecdote about her friend's time in Arizona. So one of her friends was a teacher, and they were having a Christmas potluck for the staff. And her friend wrote down that she was going to bring in dainties as a treat. And apparently it caused a bit of a stir because no one knew what dainties were. Right. And they were worried she was going to bring in women's underwear. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, I wouldn't think of it because I know what dainties are. But having heard it, I do get it. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine that being a bit of a kerfuffle at, like, a school fundraiser. (laughs) Although, why would that be the assumption? I don't know. I'm not sure how long it took to clear things up either, but... Yeah. Nice to know definitively dainties are not a thing in the States, at least. Um, The exciting update in my life this week is that uh, my neighbor, who has horrifying silver mannequins that stare into my apartment, um, has put Santa hats on them. Oh, so they're festive and scary. They're festive and scary. That's right. And I wish they'd stop looking at me. (laughs) I forgot you had this horrifying oh, mannequin an, situation. It's an ongoing issue. For a while, he was bringing them like closer to the edge of the balcony every day and didn't like it. Do you think he's doing this to you? Unclear. <laughs> does, he, does he think I enjoy the mannequins? Like, is, is it for someone else be... in your apartment complex that right. he's doing is this, this for? Is this supposed to be like a show? Am I supposed to like this? I don't know. But I don't. <laughs> At nighttime, it's really scary. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in any case, uh, at least week, the topic today is less frightening than yes, actually, spooky, um, balcony mannequins. I tend to like the kind of like horrible histories as we know. Yeah. Um, and this week is actually pretty light, which is nice. I mean, like within the context of the kind of colonial horribleness of Canadian <laughs> history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Winnipeg beach. Um, when you were a kid, I don't know, did you used to, like, go to the lake? Was that a thing for... No, I think so we lived... We should specify that I grew up in Winnipeg and you grew up in a small town. Yeah, I grew up in Morris. Yeah. Which is, like, 40 minutes south of Winnipeg, so going to the lake was a bit of a trip for my family. We went to St. Malo. Okay. Pretty frequently, but that was to St. Malo. It wasn't really a lake. Right. And I feel like for kind of, like, middle-class city kids, um, going to the lake is, like, a big part of every summer, mm-hmm. where you, like... The assumption is that you're going to spend part of the summer at, you know, maybe in the White Shell or somewhere like that, at like a rented cabin or in a tent or something like that. Yeah, we used to spend summers for like a week maybe in St. Malo, but then my sister was born and she was the worst toddler in the world. (laughs) So we couldn't do that anymore because she would always run away. Oh, no. But yeah, I feel like some people almost like center part of their identity around going to the lake oh well yeah i mean even like cabin culture yes totally cabin culture and part of that is based around um the reason that winnipeg beach was founded which is that the idea that kind of getting out into nature is good for you Mm -hmm. so we're gonna rewind kind of 120 years here to around 1900 um winnipeg is growing of course cities all over are growing and there's this growing idea that being in the city is unhealthy. 
which isn't totally wrong. Well, especially when you think about, like, the air pollution from factories. Yes. So there the weren't, time. yeah, the, you know, environmental regulations didn't really exist at this time. So it's not totally wrong that being in the city um, was not necessarily the healthiest. Of course, also there's, you know, various pandemics and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people are looking for ways to escape it. So that's kind of the um, the idea behind places like Winnipeg Beach. But before we get into the actual building of the resort there um, and the fun stuff, I do just want to be clear about one thing, which is that a number of historians seem to talk about the creation of the resort at Winnipeg Beach as if it's the creation or discovery of the beach itself. Oh. The beach is already there. Yeah, okay. I I didn't think Winnipeg Beach was man-made. No, it's not. And it's only like a discovery in as much as C.P. Rail, who established the resort, and most Winnipeggers had not been there. Okay, yeah. So Lake Winnipeg, like just about any other North American waterway, was super important to those communities who have lived here for thousands of years before European settlement. Mm-hmm. Obviously, water's essential to life. We, we like to drink it and, <laughs> uh, you know, fish in it and bathe in it and uh, growing rice and all that kind of good stuff. Um, Lake Winnipeg, along with other waterways, was also a really important trade network, both um, before and during the fur trade. Yeah. So I do just want to give a little bit of context for why a place like Winnipeg Beach can be created. Um, And that context is going to be basically the cliff notes of Treaty 5. Okay. So in 1875, Treaty 5 is negotiated and treaty history is a whole, a whole big thing. Yes. I'm not an expert. This is super nuanced. Go read more books on it. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't just listen to us on this. No, please don't. Um, But the context I want to give is basically it's negotiated in a time of crisis for First Nations. Mm -hmm. So Treaty 5 is the treaty negotiated in this area around Lake Winnipeg. Um, The fur trade had dwindled. There was an acute food crisis. There was also the beginnings of a smallpox epidemic. Mm -hmm. So First Nations were interested in coming to some kind of agreement. And the agreement they came to was that the government would provide access to certain resources and supports while the government in exchange would have use of land and natural resources. Okay. Apart from the land established for reserves. So that's okay. what kind of makes land like Winnipeg Beach available for this kind of thing. Um, the other thing is that shortly after the treaty is signed, First Nations are actually quarantined on reserves as a result of that smallpox mm-hmm. epidemic. And then, of course, later on, there's the pass system which also keeps first nations on reserves so and i'm gonna hazard a guess that the government didn't always deliver the food and resources that were promised uh, no i mean that's that's its whole own topic obviously i mean treaty promises being broken is is not something i can cover in 30 seconds for sure but essentially what that means is that um the people who would have been there previously are now on reserves Mm -hmm. for the most part uh, which hey, sort of free beach, free beach, exactly <laughs> <laughs> that we can say we discovered. <laughs> so in 1901, William White, who's assistant to the CP Rail president, takes a boat along the shore of uh, Lake Winnipeg and he finds this nice beach, uh, which he promptly names Winnipeg Beach. Okay, of course. Um, and so at this point, the concept of a seaside resort is at like an all time high. So this is why CP Rail is looking into this this idea that. Um, yeah, the city is unhealthy, mm-hmm. that to get better and to be well, you should spend some time out in the wilderness. That's, I feel like that was a big thing when you look at, like, history of illness. Also, if you're suffering from, like, consumption, it's go Absolutely. get the good country air. So, yeah, like, so... in London you'd be sort of sent out of the main city area. Yeah, absolutely. So that happened here as well. Um, during the polio yeah. epidemics, especially, people were sent out to Winnipeg Beach. Yeah. 
Um, although but a focus on fresh air for sure. Yeah, and on like the mineral water being good for you, uh, and it's yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, although the idea of like wilderness is itself kind of a colonial concept. There's some yes. really interesting articles about this that I'll put in the source notes, but. The kind of cliff notes is that basically there are very, very few places in the world where nature has actually been untouched by humans. Mm -hmm. So the wilderness here in what we now call Canada that appears to be sort of untouched or appeared to be had in reality been shaped through things like controlled burns, um, you know, land clearing, sowing of rice in certain waterways and not others, uh, farms. And so absolutely it's not just kind of untouched wilderness mm -hmm. in that way, but it's not the noisy, smelly city. Yeah. So that much, at least, they're, they're right about. And there is something nice about that. Um, and yeah, to avoid the pandemics as well. I'm sure people right now who are, like, living out in a cabin in the woods are feeling a lot safer than I am living in downtown Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably <laughs> true. So that's the kind of bigger context. But also, more specifically, the Canadian Northern Railway had already partially built lines to beaches. Oh. So... They've got direct competition. Okay. And that's really what they're trying to undercut here. Okay. So um, they decide that Winnipeg Beach is going to be the spot for this resort, and they're going to build rail lines out there. Uh, later in 1901, a Tribune reporter takes a carriage out to Winnipeg Beach to see what it's about. It took 16 hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously that's not the way to get there. Yeah. Um, but by train, they actually managed to get that down to about 75 minutes. Much better. Much better. <laughs> 16 hours is a long time. It, it is. And probably the beach is not worth that. No. Winnipeg Beach is nice, but it's I could not. drive to Saskatoon in that oh, amount yeah. of time. Yeah. I mean, you're not taking a carriage, presumably. No, no I don't think so. Uh, so in 1902, the rail line itself is built. Uh, various kind of notable Winnipeggers, as well as media representatives, are invited. And it quickly becomes pretty popular. So by 1906, there's already 13 trains a day on holiday weekends. Oh, wow. Um, except for um, Sundays. Of course. So uh, trains didn't run on Sundays, so there was actually a last chance train at 1030 on Saturday. <laughs> so if you didn't get that, you're basically stuck, whether you're stuck at the beach or stuck at home. Oh, wow. Okay. Things don't run on Sundays. <laughs> um, and so many trains are running. In 1906, two trains actually collided. Oh, no. Yeah, so um, I don't think anyone was hurt especially, but 3,000 people were stranded at Winnipeg Beach, <laughs> and they didn't get home until 5 a.m. Oh, no. Yeah, so apparently it was a seven-mile walk from the accident to the nearest telegraph. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's awful. Yeah, and so um, that just kind of underlines the fact that the train was really the only way to get there yeah. for several years um, until 1915. Um. And some people liked that, like the time on the train, they talk about kind of like built the excitement of like, hey, you're going out to the beach mm -hmm. and that's super fun, right? Um, 1913 was when the first car went out to Winnipeg Beach. Very exciting. Um, apparently, according to one history, it took most of the day to make the trip from Winnipeg by way of Stony Mountain, Stonewall, uh, and so on, and finally landed in Winnipeg Beach with broken springs, blowouts, and an empty gas tank. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess the roads probably weren't paved. No, there weren't. Basically, it was just trails. Apparently, it also ran over the police chief's dog. <laughs> okay, don't get too sad, though. Apparently, that story is probably not true. There's a Why would someone make I that up, though? I, I don't know. 
I don't know why someone would make that up, but that's Did someone kind of, hate the police chief? That's kind of the anecdote about that, but I don't think there's any real evidence that that happened. Then there's a story about the police chief kind of chasing after the car that <laughs> ran over his dog. So hopefully that didn't happen. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, Yeah, so... Prior to the road being built, also in 1912, 50 people were left at the beach after the last train left by accident, and they wanted to walk home. Oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, they managed to be convinced not to by being told that they would be eaten by bears. <laughs> <laughs> so instead, they ended up having to charter a ship, which I'm sure none of them were not were too no. happy about. That was basically the only other way to get there at that point. Sometimes people who miss the Moonlight Express, which was one of the late trains, uh, would have to either sleep just like on a park bench or like in the picnic pavilion. Um, so 1915 is when the first road is built. Okay. But even after that, like the train is a big part of the culture at Winnipeg Beach, right? Mm-hmm. That's a big part of the excitement is you spend an hour on the train and you get there and everyone gets there at once, right? Because yeah. you're all on this big train. And so it's this big crowd that gets into town and goes off to amuse themselves. Um, but Winnipeg Beach began very differently than what it turned into. Um, initially, it was advertised really to upper class families. Okay. Which makes sense if we think about like what a seaside resort is like in a place like England, right? Yeah. You know, this is a fancy place where you send your ill loved ones to or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, part of that, though, was what was known as the daddy's train. I'm sorry? <laughs> the daddy's train. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So da- the daddy's train left at 5.20 p.m. Um, and the advertising here, the marketing was based around the idea that the father of a family would work in Winnipeg and commute out to the beach and back, uh, whereas his family would be kind of stationed in a cabin out of the beach. Yeah. Um, but the round trip fare was $1.20, um, which most laborers at this point were only making about 20 cents an hour. Okay, so that's, yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, so really, this was only the wealthy who would have been able to afford that. Only the rich can take the daddy train. Only the rich take the daddy (laughs) train. (laughs) And, like, in reality, not even that. Like, most families who did do that, like, the dad would stay in town during the week and then kind of commute out for the weekends. Which I think is still a thing that people do with, like, the lake. I remember when I was a kid going out to, we used to go to West Hawk Lake, Mm -hmm. and, like, my dad would work during the week, and then on the weekends, drive out. Yeah. Um, yeah, hard, hard to do now that everyone works. <laughs> Be a little trickier. Yeah. Um, it was also advertised to picnicking groups. So picnics were a big thing in the first half of the 20th century. Um, so places like workplaces and churches and stuff would hold these big picnics. These were super popu- popular. They're in the paper all the time. Um, and for those coming for shorter stays for maybe a couple of days who didn't want to rent a cabin, the Empress Hotel was built. Oh, all right. So I don't know if you've heard of the Empress Hotel. Vaguely? Yeah. So it was pretty fancy. Um, Again, this is part of the kind of marketing to the upper class. Um, It had tennis courts and bowling greens. Oh, wow. uh, Baths on every floor, although not in every room. (laughs) But still still advertised as like being pretty fancy. An orchestra. um, A yacht for guest use. Just one yacht? I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how you bargain over who gets to use that. Um, and it was also lighted by electricity. Ooh, very fancy. Yes, which in the early 1900s is pretty fancy. Yeah. Um, and some upper class women would come and stay at the Empress because their maids wouldn't come with them to the beach. 
Why would the maids not go to the beach? Well, so I guess if you have a maid who's like not a live-in maid, right? Who wants to go home at the end oh, of each that day. Makes sense, yeah. She's not going to really want to go and spend the entire summer living with, with you, you and waiting beach. on. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Unfortunately, though, the Empress Hotel burned down in 1935. Okay. Um, and so that's part of Winnipeg Beach becoming decidedly less upper class. Okay, so that going makes sense. into the 20s and 30s and then into the 40s, 50s and 60s, it definitely becomes more of a working class area. Um, and it becomes something else, which is a place for people to mingle, um, in particular, men and women. Ah, so like a dating hotspot. Yes, it was like the dating hotspot, for oh, sure. that's cute. It is cute. Um, the advertising kind of shifted to focus on young men and women, and it was just like a place where people felt freer, right? Like you yeah. were saying, like that cabin culture, right? Like everyone knows that when you go out to the lake you kind of feel a little more relaxed out you there. kick back you yeah relax. you kick back you're like you're sleeping in you're not working it's it's hot and you're on the beach so you're wearing less clothes like <laughs> this all sounds like a nightmare to me <laughs> i hate being warm oh <laughs> well then you'd probably have hated living in like the early 20th century oh, in general before air conditioning existed <laughs> yeah. like th- but the beach is there yeah you can go swimming just live in the water for the rest of yeah my there life. you go <laughs> Um, so it was a place where people felt freer, which I think yeah. made it kind of a nice dating spot. But in the late 1800s and early 1900s, the way you met um, potential mates was through what was called um, calling or kind of a courting system. Right, yes. Yeah. So calling is essentially when um, a young man usually would go to the home of a young woman's parents, essentially, and call upon her. Right. And this allows it all to be very proper in the kind of Victorian Edwardian way where, you know, the parents are there and you have nice little chit chats <laughs> and sort of get their approval. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that definitely happened at Winnipeg Beach. Uh, there were like nice cabins that were built pretty much right away with like parlors and verandas where people socialized. Um, and social columns also listed eligible men and women who were visiting the beach. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so you might actually plan your trip right around that. Around Ooh, that, you'd be like, one of oh, the Ashdown kids is going. Yeah, <laughs> let me, like, I'm going to take the train out this weekend yeah. and go call on them, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, and the nice thing about Winnipeg Beach for that was that there were also kind of quiet places to go after that official bit. Oh. Right? So after you've got the parents' approval and you're kind of hanging out, you can go for a nice walk along the beach. Okay, but not like a weird go, like, make out in the woods kind of well, quiet place. <laughs> maybe. But okay. maybe that also. <laughs> definitely later okay it's that like i think initially it's more just like that it's a novelty to spend time alone yeah with a member of the opposite sex and in a quiet place you know like in winnipeg it was pretty busy around Mm -hmm. um and i think after a while the shift is partly like why bother with that first bit right yeah like as morals change as we're kind of less set on getting our parents approval for everyone we date (laughs) why bother with the calling when we can just go to the nice second bit where we take a nice walk yeah um and the kind of i think in between part between that and like dating as we'd be more familiar with it were house parties so there were a lot of house parties out at winnipeg beach not like not like ragers you know like Like, you know, fancy ones. Classy affairs that don't involve, like, red solo cups. Yes, no red solo cups. (laughs) There weren't any keggers. (laughs) You know, one's doing a keg stand. (laughs) Even then, actually, I'll talk about it more later, but drinking was really not a big part of this culture. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, 
so fancier cabins would often have like large living rooms which even opened out onto verandas so you could have like a fair number of people over so yeah so if you had you know a young eligible daughter you might invite over some men who you thought might be suitable (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay i don't know dating was weird (laughs) it still is however we do it is weird right yeah i thought of having like my parents specifically invite a bunch of men over to my house to meet me is maybe the weird part. <laughs> Didn't that happen in the Gilmore Girls? It might have. I've never seen the Gilmore Girls. Oh. Am I like it's weird? There's two. Have you seen the Gilmore Girls, Alex? Uh, like ten years ago. Oh, okay. Or yeah, more. there's an episode where they want like Rory, the lead Gilmore Girl, is <laughs> is uh, dating a townie boy, and her grandparents don't like that, <laughs> so they invite over a bunch of like eligible young like oh. Harvard and Yale men. Oh. And, so uh, they were they were partaking in a grand old tradition. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that shifts is it is becoming more acceptable for women to go out in public. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Which I'm, I mean, I'm very grateful for. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not just stuck at home all day. But I mean, that's true. Women were expected generally, especially if they were like, you know, not working to stay home. Yeah, especially kind of upper class women. Um, so yeah, people begin to turn, um, to kind of dating rather than this kind of calling and courting system. Um, and as we'll see after World War One, there's some pretty fun stuff to do at Winnipeg Beach. Um, stuff that actually didn't even exist in Winnipeg yet. Oh. Which is pretty cool. Okay. Like what? Um, so swimming was actually not a huge part of it. I'll get into that in a second. Um, but initially there's the beach um a picnic area and a dance pavilion so that doesn't sound super exciting yet that's kind of before world war one but afterwards in 1919 first of all a wooden roller coaster is completed Ooh, yeah so here's a quote about it it was a wooden structure it moved you know when you were growing around corners the whole structure moved (laughs) (laughs) oh that sounds really safe yeah yeah, sounds horrifying, but people loved it. Apparently, there. Um, I love it when I go on a roller coaster and the whole thing moves. Yeah, there was one oral <laughs> history where they're saying that like some people would come down there and literally ride it for hours, oh like virtually handcuffs themselves to it and just ride it nonstop. Oh like tickets were cheap. Um, and at six p.m. each night, a calliope would play, uh, announcing that the rides were open. Okay. So do you know what a calliope is? No, it's I don't. It's kind of like a big. It's almost like an organ of sorts. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to describe, but it, it plays like like pipe music, essentially. Okay. Um, so there were all kinds of like carnival style games, you know, like the ones you go and you try and win a stuffed animal yeah. and you lose every time because they're rigged. <laughs> yeah. Um, and rides as well. So there was a merry-go-round, there were bumper cars, uh, planes, and uh, a roller coaster, uh, like yeah. I mentioned. Um, and young men would pay for their girlfriends to kind of go on these rides. Nice. So that was a big part of the dating. <laughs> Another big part of it was actually just, like, promenading up and down the boardwalk. All right. So the boardwalk was built. And I kind of, like, this isn't totally unfamiliar to me thinking of, like, when I was a teenager. Like, just kind of, like, walking around trying to catch attention, right? Yeah. Um, and I should say, this is, like, primarily heterosexual dating that I'm talking about, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, though we do know from oral histories that some same-sex couples did sometimes find ways to get together. And sometimes what facilitated that is the fact that, like, before you're in kind of the dating zone, you're usually kind of coming up in groups of, like, just men or just women. Well, with your friends. Yeah, with your friends, exactly. And, like, at the end of the night, you'd mostly be going back to a a place to stay Mm -hmm. with your friends again. 
Um, and yeah, so people at this point who want a nature retreat, which is what Winnipeg Beach had started out as, are like, there's a roller coaster and a calliope <laughs> and all these young people. Natural do. wonders. Yeah. <laughs> so it really stops being that. Um, and from especially like the 30s and 40s onward, um, there was a road built to the White Shell. So people would usually go there instead. Yeah. And like cars were more available as well. Yeah. Um, like I said, um, swimming was not a big part of it, actually, which is kind of interesting. I guess that makes sense knowing that, like, bathing suits wouldn't have been... That's that's yeah. a big part of it. So, like, children swam, because yeah. children can kind of be undressed and it's not really a big deal. But, but adults, men and women undressed? Yes. So Yeah. So, back in, like, the 19th century, men and women usually swam separately and nude. Okay. Yeah. That seems so, hard to facilitate on a public beach. Yes. Yes, it is. So that was definitely passed by the time that, like, Winnipeg Beach is getting up and running. Um, actually, in 1912, a young man is fined for skinny dipping. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> it enough. It does still happen, but now it's less like, this is how you're supposed to swim. And now it's... Well, you're breaking the rules. Now, now. it's you're breaking the rules, and it's like a fun thing. Yeah. <laughs> CPR actually eventually strings lights along the beach to stop people from doing exactly that. <laughs> I mean, right. I think I think they pitch it as like there's lights along the beach now for nice walks, but like but secretly, it's so people will stop swimming naked. Stop swimming naked. Um, yeah, I'd say like in general, in the first half of the 1900s, there's this shift from like men and women socializing only separately to mm -hmm. socializing together, and so that changes how you do it, right? Yeah, and, and how you can dress while you're doing it. Um, and swimsuits actually between the late 1900s and like, or sorry, the late 1800s and the 1930s don't change a lot oh wow like they're kind of horrifying right like yeah. women are basically wearing an entire outfit yeah men men's like get a little less constricting well, they're like unitards yeah but women are wearing like stockings and yeah. all kinds of things basically an entire kind of dress yeah it's a whole new outfit to put on yeah so they do slowly become to get uh more practical especially because women start to engage in like swimming competitions at this point mm -hmm. that's a big part of it is that it's hard to swim fast if you're wearing just, like, clothes. Yeah. A skirt would really slow you down. Yes. Um, but you can't you can't not have a skirt, even when things loosen up a little. <laughs> of course. I'm so sorry for even suggesting yeah. that. <laughs> Less than five inches of skirt was forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently some beaches, um, not specifically Winnipeg Beach, but between the 20s and 40s, some beaches had, like, sensors who they employed who oh would go God. around and measure women's skirts. What a bizarre job. The funny thing about that is that seems way more improper to me than a woman not wearing a skirt is for a man to come up to her and, like, start measuring her clothing. <laughs> and then scolding her for getting it yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, but at Winnipeg Beach, at least, like, by the 1930s, most police officers out there apparently didn't care that much. Um, as long as you were on the beach, though. Ah. If you leave the beach in your swimsuit, that's another matter. <laughs> not allowed. Um, in the 1930s, a girl was taken off of Main Street for being in her bathing suit. Oh, my God. Yeah. And in 1943, they actually passed a law in Winnipeg Beach that anyone over the age of 12 had to be clad from shoulder to knees once off the beach or they would be fined $25. Oh, wow. That's a yeah. lot of money. I, for 1943, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, they so were, were there changing rooms on the beach then? There were. Um, some beaches, I haven't seen photos of these at Winnipeg Beach, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had them. Some beaches had what were called changing machines. Have you seen these? I don't think I they're, have. They're almost like a kind of square tent with like wheels on it that can be like almost rolled out into the water so you can change in it and oh. then sort of go straight into the water without having the kind of indecent bit of even being on land in your swimsuit. <laughs> 
Interesting. Yeah. So, but they're basically little, like, solitary changing yeah. rooms. They're sometimes they're just on the beach. Sometimes you can roll them into the water. Um, but, yeah, definitely there were changing rooms as well. Yeah. And so swimming was not um, kind of a huge part of the dating culture, although that was a big thing of, like, what families were doing. Mm-hmm. And that would get, I think, bigger over time, especially as it gets more um, suitable to be in a swimsuit. Yeah. Actually, I do still find that when I go to the beach that, like, on the beach I'm fine. But once I go into, like, the town, even at Winnipeg Beach specifically – it's kind of like, ooh, I should put on a shirt, right? I often wear my bathing suit top as a top if I'm okay. at the beach. Yeah. I don't know. I do feel like I should, like, stick on, like, a pair of shorts or something, you know? I might wear shorts, but yeah. that's more of a, like, my legs rub together. Right. <laughs> it's a fair. different issue. It's a different issue, but but also fair. But yeah, I can get the, like, my bathing suit top is pretty, like, full coverage anyway. I can see if you're in, like, a skinny or like a bikini top it might be nicer to yeah cover up yeah it's a funny idea though that like when i'm near the water i can, I can wear, be undressed i can be undressed but once i'm away from it i must wear clothing <laughs> the further away the more covered i must be yeah and so apparently that was like enshrined in law <laughs> that's so weird um so other stuff there were little moving picture machines which had um horses and also scantily clad ladies i was <laughs> <laughs> oh, so like a peep show yeah <laughs> Great. And I think when they say moving picture machines, I think what they're talking about is like zoetropes. Oh, so yeah. If you if any of our listeners have been to the Manitoba Museum Science Center, they'll have seen a zoetrope. It's basically like a metal cylinder with slits cut into it. And as you spin it, the pictures inside, as you look through the slit, seem to move. So I think that's what they're talking about. It might be. Yeah. But I'm not sure. It could be a different kind of moving picture machine. Um, and the big one is that in 1924, a huge dance hall is built. Very exciting. So it's 14,000 square feet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So huge is not an exaggeration. No, no, it it actually legitimately is huge. Um, And this replaces the former dance pavilion, which um, had been there and was kind of smaller. It's apparently the, this is a classic Winnipeg line here, largest in Western Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Not in all of Canada, but in the West. In Western Canada, yes. So, but like the important thing there is it's bigger than anything in Winnipeg by far. Yeah, that's right. Um. And the dance hall could see 40,000 people on a busy weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah. So actually, um, on um, July 1st weekend in 1920, uh, we know, for instance, that 15,000 people purchased train tickets um, and that children and people who live nearby didn't need them. So it was probably as much as twice that, that weekend at least. So 30,000 people that was one-tenth of all the people in Winnipeg at oh, that time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's super popular, and the dance hall especially is yeah. the place to be. Um, and it's kind of suitable to what dating becomes. Oh. Because I think nowadays when people are dating, it's often like you find one guy or one gal, and you date them for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Until something happens and you stop dating them. <laughs> or yeah. you really like them and you get married or whatever. <laughs> But um, prior to, I'd say, I don't know. I don't know when that shifted. But generally, like, in decades past, it was a lot more casual, I think, right? You'd generally be dating more than one person at once Mm -hmm. until you got engaged or married. Um, And so people would pay in the dance hall um, by set. So that was two or three quick songs. So it would be, like, two or three minutes, basically. And you'd buy, like, tickets. And this was kind of an in for a young man to ask a young lady to dance. He'd say, oh, you know, I've got this ticket. Would you like to dance this set with me? So you'd change partners throughout the evening. It was actually seen as rude if you didn't. Oh, interesting. So, like, if you danced with the same guy the whole evening, 
that was like kind of like mm, oh interesting yeah like not allowed this is gonna be a nerdy comparison was it not kind of like dance cards and like sort of jane austen era like regency balls because you would have dance cards you could check off oh yeah i'd say it would be yeah pretty similar to that like a less formal process but yes for sure less formal and there would be like way more people there to kind of choose from um but yeah pretty similar to that where i think you're expected to kind of you know well mingle right mingle and yeah it's it's just polite to kind of give different people Mm -hmm. your attention um but often you do, like, your first and last dance with, like, the guy you were really keen on. Ah. Um, if you were engaged, it was okay to dance just with the one guy. <laughs> okay, I'm but glad there's, funny. Yeah. there's a rule for that. Yeah. Although it's funny that, like, even, like, there's histories even of, like, married women going and, like, dan- doing dances with different men and stuff. Like, it ah. wasn't seen as all that improper or all that kind of like romantic to dance with someone whereas i guess now if you think of like going to a wedding and you slow dance with someone that's not like your partner that's very weird for sure yeah so i think it was it was a lot more casual in that sense um the other important thing is that this was a place where women felt safe to socialize in that way which is pretty cool actually so partly it was because there were lots of people there Mm -hmm. and also because women tended to go in groups so you'd go yeah. with a group of your girlfriends. There's tons of people there. So you kind of felt safe to, you know, mingle and meet different guys and meet different girls and whatever. Um, it was also seen as improper to go alone. <laughs> okay, so you had to go with friends. You kind of had to go with friends. If you didn't, you might be seen as a prostitute. Oh! So, huh. yeah. Was that like a, a thing that actually happened or was that a needless concern? I I suspect it was a needless concern. <laughs> It just seems like if you are a sex worker, there's probably an easier place to go than a busy Winnipeg I beach would, dance hall. I would think so. Um, I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> it, that's weird. It's just, all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and really, there was, yeah, there was nothing like this in the city, right? There wasn't no. a place where you could go and mingle with so many different types of people mm-hmm. who you, you know, might not get to meet otherwise. Um, and there was the forested area outside perfect to go make out (laughs) you meet the guy you like you have a fun dance with him and then you go outside into the forest you know (laughs) excellent that's safe yes (laughs) um and the other thing is like if um things went really well maybe at the end of the night you could go to one of the nearby like hotels or rooming houses oh yeah but Oh, there's rules. There's rules. Yeah, this is this is the thing with dating in any time and place, right? Is there's so many of these like moralistic rules, mm-hmm. right? No matter what time we're talking about. And they're like so specific to time periods. <laughs> but um, in this case, of course, you could not rent a hotel room unless you were married. Right. So you would have to sign a thing saying that you were married. <laughs> okay. But generally, like often they didn't check. Yeah. So you could just sort of sign this thing and then, you know. You could just lie. Yeah, you could just lie. <laughs> I think generally people weren't uh, checking that that hard. Um, and like I said, dating generally didn't mean drinking at this time, which is kind of interesting. Because nowadays I think, you know, often what a date is was like, let's go to a pub, let's go to yeah. a bar, get a couple of drinks and talk. But, um, which is not to say that people didn't drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like that they didn't drink at all. Young men especially did sneak drinks into the dance hall. There are stories like they sell soda in the dance hall, so you could like bring your flask with rum in it, and then yeah, you know, get the. Coke I know from people the... that still do that at socials to save money. Oh, gee, drinks are so cheap at socials. Yeah, but you've met our friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's kind of how drinking was happening, but um, women especially were discouraged from drinking, especially publicly, 
and especially in mixed company. Oh, yeah. it's so weird that women had to follow that rule and men didn't. It's, it's very weird, yeah, that women were expected to remain sober. And, like, from accounts, I think they generally did. Oh, wow. Um, it sounds like it was mainly young men doing the kind of drinking. I mean, I'm sure young women probably when they were in their own friend groups were going home and drinking. But yeah. Yeah. They were being um, sneakier about it than men, if nothing else. Yeah. And so for a long time, the only place to go drink at Winnipeg Beach was a beer parlor, which was for men only. Right. Yeah. Um, and there were concerns about even that, about men behaving inappropriately. Um, and there were like a lot of efforts to stop drinking altogether. Um, of course, there was a period of prohibition in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Um, which I always like to, to say we, we voted for. It's a, <laughs> Very keen on the idea for a bit there. Yeah, fun, weird fact. Um, and even after Prohibition, drinking was still pretty closely policed. Yeah. Um, so it was like small little tables. You weren't allowed to carry your drinks around. Yeah, there were some pretty strict rules about what you could and could not do with liquor until like yes. the 1970s even. Yeah. And so... We should, we should definitely do an episode about that yeah. at some point. But at Winnipeg Beach, the way this plays out is that there's just this beer parlor for men, which is, it sounds like, not a super happening place because you just got to sit at your little table and there's no bar and you can't move <laughs> just around. Just hang out with your friends. Just hang sit. out with your friends. I mean, that could be nice. Um, although apparently uh, women were sometimes glad to get rid of them for a while. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a polite way of saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but fun fact, in 1928, so this is a few years after Prohibition, a women's only beer parlor opened. Ooh, that's exciting. The only one in Manitoba. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was very exciting for a few hours (laughs) (laughs) until it was shut down for not having the correct license. (laughs) Wow. So that was really short lived. Very, very short lived. And apparently they didn't try again. So... I have to feel like there was getting a license too hard. Well, I have to imagine that there must be something more to that story. Like, right. That they were told that they, you know, would not be allowed no matter what. Yeah. Because otherwise I can't imagine why you wouldn't go through the application process and try again, try and get the license. Right. Especially after putting in the effort to kind of create it. We'll make it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So if you had been out at the beach with your friends during the day, um, the way you generally get home would be the Moonlight Express. So this would be the kind of last train of the day that would take you home in the evening. Uh, called the Moonlight Express, obviously, because it would, you know, mm-hmm. be dark as you came home. Um, a Moonlight Express could hold about 1,600 people. And this was a big part of the dating culture, because you'd often go up to the beach in, um, in your groups mm-hmm. of, like, you know, just men or just women separately you know you'd tell your mom like oh yeah i'm going up with my girlfriends to the beach and then of course you'd meet guys out there but often on the way back people were kind of coupled up yeah um also young people would try to turn the lights off on the moonlight express all the time (laughs) this is like a repeat issue it's in the tribune quite a lot okay um there were cpr officials on board who were trying to like ensure good behavior but it was often kind of like a tug of war between the two of them where like (laughs) young men especially would be trying to turn off the lights over and over again they'd be turning them back on (laughs) um and usually eventually the train workers would just give up yeah yeah although in 1946 two young men were actually fined for turning (laughs) off the lights on the train i guess they got fed up (laughs) and again this was like an opportunity to make out right yeah or just like sit quietly with your new bow yeah 
or to annoy some poor um train official or to i mean honestly that might be the most fun part of it right it's just yeah. annoying the <laughs> the poor employee who just has to supervise these idiot and teens. like relight the tr- the lights over and over again yeah i don't even know if they were electric lights at that point <laughs> oh, no. so it might have been much harder <laughs> yeah be super annoying Oh, man, I know I'm getting old when I, like, relate to the train workers having to turn on the lights and not the, like, <laughs> young couples turning them out. just want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not safe. Keep the lights on. <laughs> um, so, kind of un- unrelated to dating, um, one of the other really neat things about Winnipeg Beach is that as opposed to other places like Victoria Beach or Grand Beach, um, the CPR really wanted as many people to come as possible. Right. They're trying mm-hmm. to make money and the way they make money is train tickets, mm-hmm. people coming out. Um, so in contrast, places like Victoria Beach, which I'd say is still pretty fancy. Have you yeah. been to Victoria Beach? I have not, but I've heard of it. It's nice. Yeah. But it advertised exclusivity. Mm. Um, so there was less kind of entertainment stuff there. Um, and entry was controlled. So anyone can go to Winnipeg Beach, right? As long as yeah. you can afford the train fare. Yeah. No one's going to stop you from going. Um, of course, that does prevent some people who can't afford the train mm-hmm. fare, but it wasn't that expensive. Um, and so it, it becomes geared more towards the working class. So, of course, there are plenty of like upper class visitors as well. The other thing is that it didn't exclude people of different ethnic or religious or cultural backgrounds. Oh. Which places like Victoria Beach did. I guess that comes with exclusivity. That I mean, that's what exclusivity means. Yeah. Let's be real. Um. <laughs> The boardwalk and the beach especially were a place where people of different classes and backgrounds mingled um, in a way that didn't often happen in Winnipeg, actually. Oh, interesting. Right? Like, Winnipeg, I kind of hesitate to use this word, but in some ways was kind of ghettoized. Right? Yeah. Like, or, or people were kind of almost, like, sanctioned off, cordoned off in their areas of, yeah. you know, their particular cultural background. And so, you know, wouldn't necessarily be mixing with people of different ethnic or class backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyone can go to the beach. And so that was happening there. And, you know, the dance hall as well, right? Um, in contrast, um, at Sandy Hook, which is another nearby uh, beach and resort, they advertised desirable neighbors only. Oh, gross. And said, it gets worse. Oh, no. <laughs> Your home in Sandy Hook is protected by restrictions that will permanently ensure its freedom from undesirable associations. Hmm. this is i mean this is the thing about canadian history is like when we look at american history because they had like jim crow laws often it's very explicit yeah the kind of you know just outright racism in canadian history it's often these kind of things like that well it's veiled a little bit it's a little veiled but it's really unveiled very quickly when (laughs) anyone tries to push those boundaries because i'm assuming by undesirables they mean anything from like black people to jewish people trying to go to their beach yeah yeah jewish people especially i mean i i imagine it would include black people as well but there were simply fewer black people than than jewish people in winnipeg at this point um yeah so in 1943 a jewish family tries to buy a cabin at victoria beach um and met with basically an uproar a newspaper editorial in response to this said you have an obligation to your neighbors at victoria beach Remember, you have an obligation to see to it that those unwanted people who have overrun beaches on the other side of Lake Winnipeg are not permitted to buy or rent here. Up until this year, we have been able to keep our beach free of them, maintaining a rule, unwritten but unanimously approved, and observed for more than 25 years. 
Ugh. Yeah. Gross. So by the other beach, do they mean Winnipeg Beach? I think they mean Winnipeg Beach. Yes, exactly. So what they mean is that Jewish families have been allowed to buy homes. Yeah. And go to the beach. Overrun the area by existing. By existing. How dare they? Um, Now, that does kind of stop after a while, or I won't say stop, but it lessens for sure. Um, In 1950, the Supreme Court of Canada actually outlaws discriminatory land covenants. Oh. Though I'm sure it doesn't stop those kind of unwritten rules. Yeah. And decades later, we do still see the remnants of that. So by the 1980s, cottage ownership at Winnipeg Beach was 44% Anglo-Saxon and at Victoria Beach, 70%. Oh, that's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. And that's decades after these, you know, kind of unwritten rule policies have supposedly Mm -hmm. been taken out. But you have to assume that in places like Victoria Beach, then the people that were alive when the policies were still in place were still living there and probably maybe wouldn't have been kind. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure even, yeah, like even if that family had been allowed to buy that that cabin probably would not have been treated very nicely. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so Winnipeg Beach conversely also was a place where ethnic, religious and working groups could also spend time together. Yeah. So they could go and mingle, but they could also spend time together via these um, picnics, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also possible to book a separate train car. Oh. So you could kind of take your church group or your, you know, group with your synagogue out to the beach in mm-hmm. a separate train car, have a nice day all together and kind of form these ties. Yeah. Um, and we haven't talked too much about people actually living at the beach, but of course, more and more people do yeah. begin to do that, live and work out there. Um, and there is the creation of a Jewish community out at the beach. Oh, interesting. Um. Yeah, but um, despite the fact that I've just finished saying it was more open, um, they did generally keep to a particular area. Oh. Um, the boundary of which was literally a place called Boundary Park. <laughs> Very on the nose, all right. Yeah, a little on the nose there. Um, and kids would actually have fist fights there in the 30s and 40s over, like, boundary lines. Oh, Jesus. I feel like kids had fist fights more often generally in the past. I don't know what's up with that. Uh, nothing else to do? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I feel like in the course of my school, I probably saw one actual fight and it lasted about three seconds. I saw a f- not too many, but a few. But based yeah. on like my uncles who grew up on a farm, they got into fits fights with each other right. relentlessly. Right. And they grew up in like the 50s and 60s. I think maybe we stopped just like letting children duke it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. So Children um, should fight more. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the message of this podcast. <laughs> Let Chil- kids fist fight. Let kids punch each other. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jews were definitely not allowed everywhere. And often it's these kind of unwritten rules, mm-hmm. right? Where people sort of knew that they would not feel welcome at certain places. Um, so there were some tourist cabins that allowed Jews. Others didn't. Um, some tried primarily to allow Jews. Okay. So, you know, kind of keeping that community. Um, they also were generally not welcomed at the aquatic center. Um, also at one of the arcades, which is interesting. So there's two Just ar- one of the arcades? Well, so there's two arcades in Winnipeg Beach, and apparently one of them was kind of more welcoming to Jewish people than the other. I guess just based on the owner's Just based on the owner's. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a reality of anyone who's kind of a, a minority in that way, is you, like, become familiar with, like, where you are and aren't welcome. Yeah. Which sucks. Um... In 1963, a man also drove through Winnipeg Beach with signs and a loudspeaker making anti-Semitic remarks. And also very gross. All when right. he was stopped by the police, tried to claim that he was advertising for a dance. 
What kind of dance would that be? I don't know. <laughs> Not a good one. I don't want to go to that dance. It doesn't sound fun. No. And there's like definitely efforts also to like keep Winnipeg Beach English. Like if you look yeah. at photos, often there's like Union Jack strung up in cabins and stuff. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, the beach itself was open to everyone. And CPR kind of ensured that by being whatever a capitalistic thing, right? <laughs> Capitalism yeah. did good in this case. <laughs> um, the other really interesting thing at Winnipeg Beach is how they kind of kept the peace. Okay. So, like I said, there were fist fights and stuff. Yeah. And because Winnipeg Beach was outside the city, it was regulated differently. So from reading histories, it seems like at any given point, there was like one police officer, like the Winnipeg Beach police officer. Just managing like up to 30,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it. I mean, I'm sure later on there were more, but in these early days. So the police presence was pretty minimal. Um, And what's especially interesting is how this plays out during Prohibition. Oh. Because it wasn't even the police who were in charge of enforcing Mm -hmm. Prohibition. It was the Provincial Morality Squad. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) They were in charge of these liquor laws, and so in order to enforce those, they would have to travel out to the beach, which is, you know, whatever, ultimately like three hours out of their day, right, if they're commuting there and back. And so they weren't out there all the time. Um, And so lots of people in the community were bootlegging. Often it was like husband and wife teams. (laughs) Yeah. Keep your marriage strong. Yeah. Um, Similarly, Sunday closures were often flouted. Okay, yeah. This is a thing that I feel like is a little different in Manitoba than other places. We had Sunday closures until pretty recently. Yeah, do you know when that stopped? I I I don't don't, think it's not really relevant, but... Even when I was a kid, I feel like a lot of places, if not most places, were closed on Sundays. And even now, hours are pretty restrictive. They loosened up a couple years ago. Yeah. So I think you can open at 10 instead of noon on Sunday or something like that. And then you're only open until 6. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the beach that was often flooded, which kind of makes sense, right? People are mainly out there's there. There's no the laws weekends. at the beach. There's no laws at the beach. That's right. That's what we say about the beach. <laughs> um, but like, that's when you get the most business, right? Yeah. Like if I'm in arcade, I don't want to be closed on one of the two days that most yeah. people are out there. Um, but apparently occasionally the RCMP would kind of come through and find businesses and often it would be like leaked that like, oh, the RCMP is coming or oh, the provincial morality <laughs> squad is coming. Like. Shut down the bootleg. <laughs> shut down the arcade. Yeah, okay. Apparently, the RCMP once broke apart a pinball machine to prove their point that they could not be open on Sunday, which I feel like is not an official manner of enforcing laws. No, that seems like a guy just got angry and broke I a think pinball so. machine. Yeah. But, like, that seems to be generally how things were dealt with at Winnipeg Beach. Like, less than officially. Yeah. Um, And that attitude toward working on Sundays definitely changes over time becomes much more acceptable um in 1905 apparently cabin owners were criticized even just for doing manual labor on sundays oh wow like building their cabins and so people get a lot looser about that um so because there weren't a ton of police the rcmp only came through occasionally um lifeguards often took it upon themselves to kind of keep the peace of the beach there's a couple of really interesting histories like from lifeguards um, especially in and around the dance hall, because there's a ton oh, of people bet. there. And the dance hall, for whatever reason, didn't have security. Oh! I don't know why. But so often the lifeguards... There's just no laws anywhere. No, in there's no laws in Winnipeg Beach, apparently. Um, and Except so, for the one about being half-dressed on Main Street. Yeah, if you're doing that, the police will take you off. The one police officer will come and remove you. <laughs> but, like, go ahead and bootleg and, you know, mix up your bathtub gin and that's fine. Um... 
surprisingly i didn't read a ton of like winnipeg beach crime stories oh yeah that is interesting there were a couple but yeah um not a ton and i guess you know the police would come out when they had to um the one kind of big crime anecdote is about the so-called dewdrop gang (laughs) (laughs) that's a very scary name the dewdrop gang were a um a gang mainly based in the north end of winnipeg Um, and they seem to be, it's unclear what they actually did that people didn't like. They were kind of like ruffians. Yeah. Right? Like Based they, on the name, I assume they're a group of like scraggly 10 year olds. I think that's it. I think that's it. <laughs> they like walk around kind of like, basically like starting fights. Yeah. It sounds like they maybe were responsible for a couple of burglaries at some point, but that's okay. basically the extent of it. I, it seems like mainly they were walking kind of like being tough guys and like annoying people. <laughs> so. The Dewdrop Gang as yeah. their name. Yeah. Which is the toughest name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Very tough. Yeah, I think primarily they were just disruptive. Yeah. Um, And so apparently they came out to Winnipeg Beach one summer and were being disruptive and causing fights on the boardwalk. And so some off-duty RCMP, a local group of brothers and some lifeguards decided that um, they were going to go to the dance hall when the Dewdrop gang were there. Tell them that one of their members was outside in trouble and then when they came outside the dance hall they beat them up (laughs) i don't think that's a thing cops can do (laughs) it says that the way this is told is once outside the hall the gang members encountered much resistance and after that particular night never returned to winnipeg beach (laughs) yeah i wouldn't return either if someone tricked me and beat me up I no, I wouldn't either. I don't blame them, but I guess I guess it worked. Please don't like don't enforce laws like that. That's not a good idea. Let oh, the dewdrop gang be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another super interesting story about um a guy by the name of George Smith and his friends who walked down the boardwalk in drag one night. Oh. And ended up having stones thrown at them. So, again, it seems like there aren't authorities on either side of that to prevent that happening. Um, and, like, this is, you know, I can't remember the exact year, but this is for sure between the 20s and the 40s yeah. that that happened. So, like, pretty brave, honestly. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was that an owner of a business let them go, come in, and then go out through the back. Oh, okay. So some sympathy from someone. Yes. But it seems like people were largely just, like, solving their own issues yeah. in this way. There's... Do you know why they went down the beach in drag in the first place? I don't. Just for kicks? Or just like, for kicks, it... I guess. I don't know. Just. I mean, all right. Just for fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Um, there was another story about uh, a short guy who was teased because his date was over six feet tall. Um, and he was, he was a jockey apparently. Oh. Uh, and he was teased until he jumped on a table and bit someone. <laughs> <laughs> this does seem like the wild west of beaches. It does. It does. So like, I can, you know what? I'm getting more sympathy towards the Victoria beach people who are like, maybe I don't go there. <laughs> someone bit someone last week. Like maybe we just maybe, don't go out maybe, this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and so like often what's policing um what's going on down there and especially people for like living at the beach is like social networks policed mm-hmm. what the police usually did um so like store owners and manage- managers who were often women kind of acted as like surrogate mothers 
okay um to their young employees so they were often kind of telling them like okay yes you can go out tonight or no you can't or <laughs> be home by this time you know yeah um and it was similar at, at rooming houses so a lot of rooming houses were run by women and landladies kind of police the morality mm-hmm. of the people who were staying there in that way um so it continued to be uh, a pretty popular spot for dating and mingling and doing all that kind of stuff um until I'd say about like the 50s or 60s. Okay. So by the 40s, there are still like thousands of people taking mm-hmm. trains, but by the 50s, most people are coming by car. So yeah. there had been a road since 1915, but cars at that point were largely for like millionaires, right? Yeah. And so by, you know, by the 50s, it's a lot more common to have a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the 60s, train service was actually stopped. Okay. So that's a big part of it because train service is what made the beach accessible, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, for me, for instance, I don't drive. And so if I want to go to the beach, I have to find someone else to take me (laughs) to the beach, right? And I think it's the same with a lot of kind of working class folks. Yeah. Um, That also meant that it was an adjustment more to families rather than young people who were going out, right? Because families tend to have cars not so much like teenagers, despite like what Greece would have you believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also, like, this kind of general moral panic about, like, juvenile delinquency after World War II, for whatever okay. reason. This is, like, the time of the teenager, right? In yeah. the kind of 40s and 50s. And um, people were worried that um, because most of the boarding houses were gone, it was just kind of, like, these old cabins who had kind of gone into disrepair that there wasn't really a place where young people could go stay where they were like policed right you'd go to a cabin where there wasn't a landlady looking over Mm -hmm. your shoulder and saying no you can't bring that person back here or no you can't come home at 2 a.m um apparently steven juba expressed concern that these cottages were being rented out to juvenile delinquents for wild weekend parties All right. Yeah. Stephen Juba was Winnipeg's longest serving mayor, just in case you don't know the name. Yes. And a man with many large opinions. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> just had a lot of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they actually ended up um, creating a curfew for youth under 16 after 10 p.m. Oh. So if this was like the hotspot for dating for teenagers and the rides only open mm-hmm. at 6 p.m., it's like not that fun to to go out anymore right you know you got to be back at home by 10 p.m what fun is that um and they really started advertising to families instead okay the amusement area was unfortunately kind of left to deteriorate um and in 1967 it was knocked down entirely okay so the roller coaster which i mean to be honest by 1967 i would not was not safe no no. i would not want to ride that (laughs) roller coaster but like it's still sad (laughs) So it's knocked down, and I, I do feel like even when I go to the to Winnipeg Beach now, it does kind of have that feel of, like, oh, this place was happening, like, 80 years a ago. A while ago, yeah. Right? Like, this seems like it was a cool place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of Winnipeg, to some extent, has that feel. <laughs> yeah. One of the arcades is still there. Yeah, I think there may actually still be two. I don't oh. know. I don't know offhand, though, if they're the original two arcades. Mm-hmm. I've been exactly once, so I'm not an expert. Okay. Yeah, I've been to Winnipeg Beach several times. I mean, it's it's a lovely place to go, yeah. but these days, I mean, all there is to do is swim, essentially. It's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of gone back to what it was in, like, the late 1800s. Yeah, it's kind of gone full circle. Yeah. In a sense. I mean, not that I don't think anyone's going out to Winnipeg Beach to be like, oh, I'm taking in the 
fresh air and the mineral water. <laughs> but no, it's not quite a nature retreat. No, these it's days. not quite a nature retreat, but it's also not like a big like amusement zone. Yeah, it's just like go in the water, it's paddle a beach. around a bit. It's a beach. Yeah, kind of one of many. But I think back then it was you know one of a kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Winnipeg Beach. Hopefully, uh, this summer things are less weird and we can go to beaches and be with people. <laughs> Go enjoy some semblance of nature. That would be lovely. I mean, nature is allowed right now, yeah. but nature with other people. Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> I just wanted to do one quick note on sources, which uh, I don't usually do. But for this episode, uh, I relied very, very heavily on the book Winnipeg Beach by Dale Barber. Um, if you want to learn more about this and you want more of like an academic take on it, you want more details and you want to learn about how Winnipeg Beach was like a discursive space and fancy things that I'm not <laughs> going to talk about, that's the place to go. Uh, I'll put it in the source notes. So thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are uh, One Great History on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter we're the number one great history. One day I'll learn our handles. It's fine. <laughs> And you can also check out our website at uh, onegreathistory.wordpress.com to see pictures and sources from this week's episode. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.